Good morning, church. Um, it's good to, to be with you today. This is, uh, this is Pastor Will Broadus. Um, I spent some time thinking and praying for you guys, uh, looking over your names and stalking you on Facebook. JK about the stalking you on Facebook. But um, we're going to be in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Um, one of the interesting things is that um, when something unusual or unexpected happens, um, people are always trying to um, interpret it, and a lot of people are trying to interpret it as a, as a particular sign from God. And so uh, being a pastor, I get to hear a lot of people's perspective. You know, we're, we're looking for signs, we're looking for ways that God is speaking to us, and you can find uh, many hot takes on, you know, what our current crisis means and, and if God is trying to speak to us and how he's trying to speak to us through that. And so, and so uh, what's interesting is that it's a natural phenomenon that we all try to interpret what is happening, uh, interpret signs or whatever. But ultimately, we have to go to the one who made the sign in order to understand it. For example, if you were driving down the road and you saw a stop sign, yet you did not know what a stop sign was, um, you could maybe look at it. Imagine you were um, not, not, not able to read. You, know, you could look at it. You could see it like red. You, know, you could have a variety of of uh, ideas of what it would mean, uh, but uh, if you look to the manufacturer or, or the law who created that stop sign, they will be able to give you an, an authoritative explanation. Now, here's the thing. In, in, in Scripture, we have signs that have authoritative explanations, and so I, I, would, be, I would be hesitant to try to ascribe uh, a particular meaning to everything that happens because we don't necessarily have an authoritative interpretation. But in Scripture, there are things that happen that 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 are extraordinary, out of the out of the ordinary, and we have specific interpretations about what they mean from God. And I think it will be important for us to understand the signs that the Lord has already explained and respond well to them. So if you are concerned with how the Lord is speaking to you through uh, natural phenomena, through what is happening, it would be important for you to look at how the Lord has explained and interpreted what has happened in the past. And that's exactly what we have today in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter, but we're going to read verses 2 through 16. It reads, By the sheep gate in Jerusalem... There was a cool pool called Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, someone comes, goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, 
pick up your mat and walk, they asked. The, but the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you to speak through your word. Lord, we need, we need a clear word from you. Lord, in this time when, when, when we are facing confusion and distress, Lord, we need you to speak to us, speak to us to calm our fears, speak to us to give us the truth, speak to us so that we would know how to obey you. Lord, we ask and we beg that you would speak clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so one of the things that happens is Jesus does something out of the ordinary. It's not every day that you would see somebody get healed. And, and then he explains it later on in the chapter. So we have that story in the first part of the chapter. And then Jesus is given commentary on that story. So let's look at what happened and then seek to understand the significance for today. The first thing we see is in verse 2 and 3. It says, By the sheep gate in Jerusalem there was a pool, and, and people were laying there. They were disabled, blind, lame, paralyzed. What we can see is that we see that these people are in trouble. Now, here's something interesting. The question you have to ask yourself is, why were they laying there? Why were they gathered around that particular pool? Now, depending on which translation of Scripture you have, we, we can see that, that later on they, they, the people made a little bit of a commentary. And the commentary says that, that they were waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred recovered from whatever sickness they had. So what happened was the popular belief was that if you were to get to this pool when the water was moving, that you would be healed. But the issue was is that they were all there because they were extremely sick. It says that they were paralyzed, they were blind, they were lame. And so we see that these people are in trouble and that they were, are relying on their own strength to save themselves. But the issue is, is that they did not have the strength within themselves to save themselves. Here's the, here's the thing. Imagine the difficulty of moving towards help with the physical disability. It's like telling a man to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, but he doesn't have any boots. Help yourself. And they're like, I, I want to. I'm trying this points to, to our attempts to, to get to God in our own strength. You know, if we're honest, we all have uh, aspects of ourselves where we feel wounded or, or where we feel guilty or where we, where we feel shame. And, and we want to get to God in order for us to experience his goodness and his healing. But here is the issue with that. To get to a holy God, you have to be holy. Listen, Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says, 
Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And I ask you, have you met such a person? Have you, have you met such a person whose, whose hands have been cleaned from doing any wrong and whose heart was always purely motivated by love? In fact, the, the people with the most integrity are the people who admit their flaws. So, so the one who was most mature would say, well, if this verse is true, I am not sure if I have those clean hands. And, and there are times when my heart is not pure, but I need to get to this holy God in, in order to get healing and forgiveness that my shame would be removed. And see, so we find ourselves in this situation of wanting to get to the source of our healing. But looking within ourselves, we don't have the strength to do it. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this passage is that Jesus sees the pain and the frustration of those who are suffering and trying to get healing. Look at verse 5. It says, one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Now, now, now this thing, this, this verse says that he was disabled for 38 years. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus saw that individual with years of pain and frustration. Now, remember, there were many people there. There were a mass of people there hoping, seeking, trying to get that healing. And Jesus saw the man. What this teaches us is that when Jesus looks at humanity, when God looks at humanity, he doesn't simply see a mass of people. He sees you. He sees your struggle. He sees your pain. He sees the, the weight that you feel from the frustrations and pains of this life. God sees our sufferings individually for Jesus to, to look at and see this man. He had this divine knowledge of his pain and of his suffering, and he didn't pass by. He looked at him and had compassion on him. Now, if, if you're wondering, uh, uh, a simple question that I might have is like, he was in pain for 38 years, trying to seek healing, why didn't Jesus come sooner? Now, here is where I want to reveal to you my own humanity. I don't know. I can give you macro reasons about why God allows uh, uh, some suffering and while there is suffering in the world, we have the, the fact that there is sin, that, that people have to face consequences for sin. And we also have this promise from the scriptures that, that God uses suffering to, to bring us closer to him. But I can't explain the details of why God is allowing specific suffering in your lives. And the fact of the matter is we cannot understand things that are too lofty for us. 
You know, when I go to the doctor who, who has years of, of education and years of experience and I am waiting and looking for a diagnosis, I understand I can't diagnose myself. I don't understand what is happening, but I say, can you help me? And I listen to that person and their wisdom. Well, how much greater is the gap between us and the infinite wise God? All I know is, is that when we are suffering, God is not just sitting there unmoved, but we have from Jesus that he is looking at us with compassion. Now, now here's the deal. Jesus' compassion on the man leads him to heal that man. Look at verse 8. It says, get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well picked up his mat, and started to walk. Listen, listen, you can be sure of this, that the God of compassion will move and act to rescue you. I want you also to notice that, that his authority to heal comes with his authority to command. So if you accept the power of Jesus, you have to accept the authority of Jesus to tell you what to do. And that's what this man, he, he saw Jesus uh, come and heal him. And he said, well, well, in his mind, I guess he was like, Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do if you have the power to heal. Now, here is the, 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 the conflict in the passage at verse 10. It says, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who had, was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So I want to provide some context. So this man gets healed, right? He had been sick for 38 years. This man gets healed. And the religious leaders... The Jews and the religious leaders got mad at him for picking up his, essentially his roll-up bed and walking around because they said he is breaking God's law. Now, I promise you, you can go and search the Old Testament and you will not find a law that says, do not pick up your mat and walk around. So what was happening? So, so on people's consciences and on their, their, their hearts, there is this compulsion to seek after the, the divine. There is this pursuit to, to search for the higher power. But at the same time, there is a frustration because they're like, well, how do I get there? And so what the religious leaders did is they took God's law and they saw that people were still having trouble getting to God. And so they began to add to the law to help people. You have all these commentaries on the Old Testament written by the Jewish leaders that were adding rules and rules and rules to what was stated because they thought that they were trying to help. They piled up rules and instructions to lead people to God, but instead this led them into more bondage. Now here's the deal. Jesus challenged their wisdom and their authority and demonstrates that he and he alone is the way to God. 
that we, we can't uh, 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 have an abundance of wisdom for, for us to try to figure out how to get to God. Instead, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to be the way. He is the instruction and he is the path. What was happening is there was a conflict of authority. The religious leaders of Jesus' day thought that they had the authority to tell people how to get to God and how to please God. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, actually, I am the one with authority. Now, we are getting wisdom and advice and instruction from all different types of sources. But we have to determine what is the authoritative source. What I find interesting is that we are often allowing sources that are not legitimate to instruct us about eternal and weighty things. I often uh, joke with others that one of the main disciples, one of the main avenues of formation is memes. People are sharing memes that often are not agreeing with the authority of Jesus, and people are accepting it. But see, this is not a, a, a matter of, of trivial uh, uh, nature, is that if we are going to accept authority, we're going to accept instruction, we have to ask ourselves, just like this man, whom should I listen to, and in whom has authority? Now the verse continues, and Jesus, the one who healed him, continues to instruct him. In verse 14, it says, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus instructs this man that he healed to continue to turn to God and away from sin. It's, it's like he's saying, follow me and I will lead you away from danger. And the other leaders hated Jesus because of the authority he claimed. I want you to understand something, that, that Christianity is offensive not because Jesus claims he was nice. It's offensive not because he said, I am the one who heals you. It is offensive because he says, I am the top and only authority. Now listen, again, we need to remember he is, is doing these acts to point to greater truths. It's a sign, an object, or an act that points to our spiritual reality. One of the, the signs that we do often is communion. We take the bread and we, and we take the cup and we remember that Jesus' own body was broken and his own blood was spilled. It is a physical act that points to our spiritual reality. So what does this story point to? It points to this, that we are all sick and in need of help. You know, we, we all acknowledge that there's something wrong. There are at least two identities and two experiences that every single person shares. The first one is that we are sufferers. 
Now, we suffer because of others' sin. We, we suffer because of, of sickness. We, we suffer because of, of emotional distress. We are sufferers. That is the common thread that connects humanity, that we have experienced suffering. We are experiencing suffering, and we will experience suffering, and we want deliverance. The other truth, that along with being sufferers, we are all sinners. Now, 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 now sin is, is, is this, this breaking of God's moral law. That we did not love our neighbor as ourselves, that we acted out of, of selfishness, that we did not regard God. And again, if you are honest, you will say, no, nah, I have committed sin. Even those who would not subscribe to the scripture have their own standards of morality, and they don't consistently meet them. And so just like the, the individuals in this passage who were, who were both suffering greatly and also were sinners, that is our experience. And just like them, they're, 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 we are trying to figure out how to fix it. How can we fix our present situation? How can we escape suffering? Uh, how can we escape the consequences of sin? And here is the interesting thing about COVID-19. This virus magnifies what is already the case. Listen, we are frail. We are, 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 are prone to sickness and disease. Now, now, we see it on the news every day now, but it was true before this pandemic. Our frailty, the fact that, that we live in a body that will not last forever, that is true, regardless if there is a pandemic or not. We are frail. We are prone to sickness and we will die. That's, that's just true. It's just a fact. And what this virus has done has magnified the reality of that. Not only that, is, is, is this virus has magnified our own sin. We can, you, you can see people's frustration with what they interpret uh, as uh, uh, um, uh, malice and, and politicians are, are negligence. We can see people's frustrations when they're pointing out uh, people's selfishness and only caring for themselves and, and people's hoarding of, of supplies and resources. Listen, listen, people are frustrated rightly for some people's uh, inability to do what is right for others. But that was true before this virus. People's proneness to do what is wrong, to look out for self, to practice negligence, that was true before it was on the front page. And the last thing that this, this virus points out is that we have a great need. We can see that we are all scrambling together to find a cure, to find, to find some sort of, of release and help. But listen, we were in great need before the virus. Maybe it wasn't in our face. The scripture calls our bodies 
a body of death because that is where we are headed. We are in great need. So we find ourselves in a situation where we are sufferers and sinners and we need someone to help us. This this story also points to the fact that Jesus is equal to God and has God's authority. Look at verse 18. It says, this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus is claiming a unique authority. Listen, if we are in great need, we need God's help. And Jesus is saying, when you look at me, you are seeing God in the flesh. Look at verse 23. It says, anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. See, the religious leaders wanted to honor God, but missed the opportunity because they would not honor Jesus. Listen, in this this moment, we are seeking for God's help, and God has revealed himself uniquely in Jesus. So if we want to reach the omnipotent God, we have to come to his son. Jesus, this points to the fact that Jesus has the power of judgment and raises the dead. Look at verse 24. It says, truly I tell you, Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25, truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's saying that in this this moment in the reality of our life when we are both sinners and we are both sufferers, that if we would come to him, that we would get this immediate spiritual life, that, that, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would escape judgment and shame. That all the judgment that we should face for our wrongdoing, he's saying, if you would come to me, You would not have to face that. And not only would you not have to face that, I would give you spiritual life. And Jesus is saying that he is the final cure. He is the final cure of resurrection for all who would believe in him. He says the hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. All medicine, all healing in this life is temporal. But Jesus says he has a final cure of resurrection. Because he has compassion on us, because he has the authority, I will grant you resurrection from the dead. This is his judgment. This this is his decision that he would come to us and offer us not just temporal life, but eternal life through the power of resurrection. Jesus offers us a greater glory. Look at verse 44. How can you believe, he's talking to the religious leaders, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Now, I want you to imagine, put yourself back in the story. This man is looking for healing. 
he, he wants deliverance. What if that man lived to honor the religious leaders? What if he lived to honor his peers? He would have missed out on healing. See, we need to live for God's glory and God's honor. And beloved, we will receive the honor of healing, forgiveness, and resurrection. This is what this story is pointing to, and this is fundamentally what our lives are pointing to, that something is fundamentally wrong, and the God who loves all has sent Jesus to give us the way to salvation and resurrection. In this hour where death is in front of us, and the reality of death is beside us, we have to ask ourselves, where will we turn for the cure? Now, in this, this passage, he is saying that he is the judge who executes judgment. And we ask to have to ask ourselves, how does this authoritative judge, Jesus, execute judgment? He allows himself to be judged in our place on the cross. See, the man who received healing, he indeed was a sufferer, but he also was a sinner. And I want to, you to understand that Jesus' compassion did not only move him to heal that man, it moved him to die for that man. That the way that Jesus executes judgment is by being judged in our place on the cross. This is how much he loves us. This is the degree that he would go to save us. He experienced death in the grave so that we would not have to remain in the grave. This is the life and the resurrection and the hope that Jesus offered us that he died in our place. He is the one who has experienced suffering and the one who has suffered in our place. And if we would come to him, we would get the gift of eternal life. So sin has made us all sinners and, and we are all sufferers who are unable to heal ourselves. Yet Jesus comes down and provides healing to us by the cost of his own blood. And beloved, if this is true, why would we not do what he said and believe in him? You know, in view of these things, in view of the fact that Jesus not only sees your suffering and sees your sin and moves to help you and serve you by his death, what should we do? I would say that if you have not come to this generous judge who doesn't sit in the, in, in the place of judgment, but he gets up off of that chair and is judged in our place, what I would say to you is now is the time to come to him. He is ready to receive you. He is ready to offer you salvation, forgiveness. He is ready to give you eternal life. He loves you so much that he spilled his blood. And this one is calling you to himself. What I would say to those who have put your trust in him is that you have to entrust yourself to him even amidst your fears. Beloved, if he has taken care of our eternal life, he is worthy of trust now. 
The scripture says that not a hair will fall from your head without the Father's permission. Whatever Jesus allows in your life, it is not because he doesn't care. We have this eternal statement of his love and care by the cross and his resurrection. He is worthy of our trust for our eternal life. He is worthy of our trust for our present life. And trust yourself to him in the midst of fear. And the last thing I would say is, let this present situation press eternal truths deeper into your heart. This is not a moment that is... Um, that should lead you to fear, it's a moment that demonstrates the reality of what we believe, that we are needy, that we are sufferers, that we are sinners. That is clear as you look around. It is abundantly clear. The curse of, 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 of humanity, the, the curse of sin is playing itself out right in front of us. But we know that that is not the end. That Jesus on the cross became a curse in our place to provide blessing for us now and for forever. We have a Savior who ultimately saves us from death. So in this moment, in this time where your mind is gravitating to more serious subjects, Make sure that it gravitates toward the eternal truth of the gospel. That death does not have the final word, nor does fear, nor does guilt, nor does shame. That because Jesus died on the cross, we can entrust ourselves to him now and forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have spoken to us through your word. Lord God, that even though we are uh, experiencing the results of sin, that we are walking through suffering and, 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 and we have experienced fear and unknown, Lord, what is true is that you have died for our sins, you have risen from the dead so that we would have not just a temporary hope, but we would have an eternal hope. That we would not have just a temporary cure, but we would have an eternal cure. That if we would trust in you, Lord God, that you would would love us, that you would trust us, and that you would give us the resurrection of eternal life. So, Lord, help us be secure in that and help us trust you now because you have provided for our greatest need. In your name, amen. You know, every week when, when we would gather together, we would respond through communion. And though we can't take it together at this time, I encourage you to take it at home with your family. But we should remember that on the night before he was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is the blood that is spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is the sign that still speaks to us today. That Jesus loves us enough to be broken to be spilled out for us. So let's trust him today.